This is the Ball Talk Pod. Evan Kinsley. Starting now. Good afternoon, and thanks for tuning in to the Ball Talk Pod with Evan Kinsler. On today's show, Keith Smith, contributor for Yahoo Sports, Real GM, and Celtics blog, joined the show. Keith, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started with the play of the Lakers so far this season. On Wednesday night, the Lakers defeated the Portland Trailblazers 126-117, to propelling the team to 8-6 and after four straight victories. The team is looking to build up that momentum with their next three outings being winnable games against the Magic, Heat, and Cavs. Keith, what have you thought of the Lakers so far? Yeah, it was a slow start. I think that's what we all expected out of the Lakers. You just can't add that many new pieces and not have some bumps along the way. And they're really starting, I think, to figure out where everybody fits, where guys like the ball on the floor, and you know, just how to play off each other. That's really, really important you know, to figure out, especially when you have a guy like LeBron. It's going to take a little while for guys to get used to him as well as him to get used to all his new teammates. And so the first time, this is a whole collection of new guys for him. There's not, there's no holdovers. There's nobody left from before. It's an all-new system. And, you know, it, it, it just took a little bit. But now it looks like they're really starting to figure it out. Yeah, he hasn't played with any of these players uh, <clears throat> in previous years. Either. I'm trying to think. Oh, Miami is first year. He had Ogalskis. And with, back in Cleveland, he'd already played with Verizal. And Mike Miller also came. So, uh, yeah, this is completely different for LeBron. With those other teams, he's had players. But with this one, oh, wait, they got Beasley. I forgot about that one. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, I guess that counts. Yeah, he hasn't <laughs> he hasn't been uh, providing that much. He had a family issue that's kept him out the last few games. But uh, LeBron stepped up after looking like he had been in cruise control for the majority of the season, and a lot a lot of uh, the same he did last year with the Cavs. Uh, but he put up 44 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists, three blocks, and a very good sign for the Lakers. Hit his first five threes and five of six overall. Do you think LeBron will keep uh, trying to have these games as the season goes on? Can we expect them very often, or will this be one of the few ones of the year? No, I think you can expect them somewhat often. I think what you'll see is that he will kind of flow in and out on occasion. I think when there are games where the Lakers have no shot at winning, you know, they get behind pretty big or games where they're up big, where you're just going to see LeBron kind of go in a coast mode. And then there's probably going to be a period of time where he, if you know, his form holds true from the last few years, where he just kind of takes almost an in-season vacation. And whether that's he, he plays and does that or he actually steps away for a little while, you know, we'll, we'll see that again. But I think, you know, I think at the beginning of the year, what, what was happening was he was having to play a lot more defense or at least having to, you know, give more effort on that end, whether he actually did that or not, is up for debate. But those are the things that we're looking for. Now that they've really kind of rebalanced the rotation and some of the defensive guys, especially with the addition of Tyson Chandler, I think it's allowing him to refocus on his offense a lot more. And now you're starting to see the numbers come along with it. And like you said, he kind of fades away if the game's out of hand. The game with the Blazers the other night, they were down 13 points, and I figured they were uh, the lead was only going to go up from there, but you had two straight Lonzo ball triples that put the game at seven points. And then, so the Lakers were back in it, and then LeBron started taking over, 
hit two threes in the half. What do you think about Lonzo Ball so far? Yeah, again, up, up and down a lot like the team. The, I think the challenge for for him is that he was really splitting time with Roger Rondo for most of the year. To this point, you know, Rondo was, you know, Ball was out, and then Rondo obviously suspended for a couple games, and now they're all, you know, back at it again together. And I think for for Rondo, it's a situation where he's not used to that. You know, it's, he's kind of had that job to himself up to this point. So I think what we're going to see happen with Lonzo here with Rondo out is his production may start to really soar because he doesn't have to look over his shoulder at all. There's, there's nobody else. You know, he is the lone point guard on the roster now. And you're, you're going to have to figure those things out a little bit. And, and you know, and I, I think he's up to the task. I think as a rebounder, playmaker, and defender, he'll be just fine. Shooter, scorer, we'll, we'll see. You know, that's always probably going to be the question with him. You saw with the Rondo's suspension that Lonzo can take over. Uh, he had some really good games at the beginning of the season. Um, I really just want to see if he can do, uh, if he can score consistently. Uh, the other night, he hit three triples and hit a really nice mid-range jumper. Hopefully, we can expect that. And during last season, he'd have stretches, he'd have month stretches where he would just hit everything. I think March he hit about 42% from three, and it just he fades in and out and. But you know the defense and the rebounding will always be there. Also with the playmaking. Another thing, his pick and roll game has been has stood out to me a lot this year. Uh, last year they he really only had a pop guy with Brooke Lopez, but this year he's actually got a role man with JaVel McGee. So I really like that development in his game, and hopefully we can see more of that in the future. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I, I think what you're going to see out of Lonzo is just it'll continue to grow. He's probably the guy in the team that has to make the biggest adjustment of playing with LeBron because LeBron has the ball a lot. Where for Lonzo, you know, since he's been in Los Angeles, it's like kind of here's the ball, you run the show. So he's having to play off the ball some, and you know, he, it's something he is capable of. It's just going to take him a little while, I think, to adjust his game and get used to it. But you know, he's a small player. He's a you know solid team guy, so I would expect him to be able to make that adjustment. And Lonzo doesn't have to have the ball to really tr- contribute. Uh, the stat is he's had he's had the ball in his hands for a combined total of 10 minutes of the game so far. Uh, he's able to be a bit average, and so he doesn't care to uh, get the ball up. And I remember at UCLA, uh, right when they get the ball in the net, they'd push it. He'd throw it ahead to Bryce Alford, and they'd start the, they'd get a after-basket fast break, and it really helped uh, get three-pointers and layups really easily. So Lonzo really likes to do that, and I think that that's a really beneficial thing to have with LeBron James on the team. And then what you said with JaVel McGee, I think he's looked great uh, so far this season. Really looking like a most improved candidate for me. Against the Blazers, had 20 points in just 24 minutes. What do you think about his chances at getting a most improved player award? Well, it would be interesting to see how voters consider that because he is a much older player. Yeah. And the award usually goes to somebody you know, in their first five years or so in the league. But, you know, his, his stats from last year to this year certainly warrant consideration because he, he's been that good. You know, he's really, uh, you know, this is the best basketball I think he's ever played in his career. It's, you know, on both ends of the floor, I think. You know, offensively, he really figured it out with the Warriors of just, I just got to hang out around the rim. And good, good passers, good players, that'll get me buckets. And then I think with the Lakers, he's really stepping up and adding a little more defensively and on the glass as well. So definitely, you know, for me, easily his best uh, basketball he's ever played. 
he only had he only averaged nine point five minutes per game last year for the Warriors, and he was getting really high minutes start of the season. But now with the signing of Tyson Chandler, they really don't have to rely on him as much. And the team is looking great since signing Chandler. It's been four and zero since the addition. It just gives the Lakers another locker room presence and a guy who can who's a big body who can rebound, block shots. Um, he actually doesn't block shots that much. He alters shots. But that block on Trey Young the other night was pretty great. What do you think that what Tyson Chandler brings to the table? Yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's leadership. He's a grown-up and adult in the locker room. You know, he's a guy you know, players can lean on and look to. And then on the court, it's going to be defensive rebounding. That's what he's going to give them. He can hang out a little bit. He's not quite as athletic as, as McGee is to this point, you know, which is just, you know, age gets everybody eventually, and it seems to have gotten Grayson Chandler at this point. So, you know, he's really going to be, you know, now kind of just, He'll hang out around that dunker spot, you know, and get, get some layups and dunks on occasion. But they really want him to rebound and defend. And what he really brings is they can get now 48 minutes of true center play out of McGee and Chandler. And that's something that they didn't have before. So they weren't going to go to Avita Zubach. You know, that just wasn't going to happen. So you were really down to it being just McGee. And then you were mixing and matching with guys like like Kuzma masquerading as a center and those kind of things. And, you know, I, I happen to really like Kyle Kuzma, but he's definitely not a center. So, you know, I think now the Lakers are at a point where they, they don't even need to make it up as they go anymore. Now you have two legitimate centers. They were using two-way player Jonathan Williams until they got Chandler. He's, he's a nice player, but at 6'9", he doesn't really do the things that Tyson Chandler can do at 7'1". How much do you think this can raise the Lakers' ceiling? Because with the Lakers, how they play, they need a big in there to alter shots. So how much does that change things for the Lakers? Yeah, no, it definitely changes things from the extent of it gives them that, that defensive option for the entire game. They, they don't want to be in a spot where you're going to have to go small for more than maybe the last four minutes or so of each half. That has become the trend in the NBA. Very few teams stay big in the closing minutes of each half. So that's fine. But what they were having to do was they were getting maybe 10-ish minutes out of McGee each half. You know, a couple, you know, here and there, a couple more than that. So maybe 12 minutes or so. But none of those were, were it's that middle range period where they were having to go small for a much longer time frame. And it just wasn't working out. Their defense was really getting eaten up in those periods. So now now you don't have that. They're, they're going to be able to go the first 20 minutes of each half with, you know, traditional center-type lineups. And then and down the stretch, it's either, you know, if you really need defensive win protection, you'll even get your Chandler on the floor. But if you don't, you need a little more offense, you can pull them out and go small, which now puts them in a much more... Uh, how do I say this? They're in a way where it just makes a lot more sense for where the league ends now. How far can this team go, though? Because there's looking at the standings, there's only one team that's really out of the playoff consideration, and that's the Suns. Kings stepping up this year. Also, the uh, Mavericks got DeAndre Jordan, and that's really helped them, along with Luka Doncic. It just the West is so tough. Where do you have the Lakers finishing this year? Yeah, I had them, you know, right in the mix for home court advantage, somewhere in the 
the four or five seed. Now, I also had the, the Rockets and Jazz much better than they are, and they're, they're starting to play you know, a little bit better basketball now, especially the Rockets. Are out, their three-game win streak you know, has them at 7-7. Seven and seven. So, you know, I, I think that's ultimately where the Lakers land. I think Denver and Portland will slide a little bit, not too much. I think Utah and Houston will come up, so that you know, causes the Lakers to come up. But you mentioned it at the top of the show, the Lakers with four straight wins, have now gone from really the bottom of their conference all the way into the seventh spot. And that's what happens in the West. You win or lose three or four games, and you might lose your five, six slots in the standings. So it's going to be one of those things. They're just going to have to avoid any kind of long you know, winning, or not avoid long win streaks. Obviously, I like those. Um, but avoid any kind of long losing streak you know, of three or more games because that's really going to hurt them you know, in terms of where they where they went. But I, I think they'll, they'll be there. I don't think they can get that maybe they can get to the West Finals, you know, if things break right matchup wise. But that's probably their ceiling this year. I just don't think they have quite enough talent around LeBron James to knock off the Warriors. And I kinda doubt that they have enough to get past a team like Houston or even Utah when it really matters in the playoffs. And I think these next four games for the Lakers is really gonna be crucial to their season with the Magic, Heat and Cavs and then after, after those three games, they have the Jazz at home. So that could really help them on the standings. And then, But I think the target for the Lakers this year is either the two or three seed. You don't want to play the Warriors in the semifinals because you know that's not going to go very well. So looking at if you're trying to get either Utah and Houston in the second round, I think that gives you a great shot at going to the conference finals. I, I don't think anybody's beating the Warriors this year, but I think they can – honestly, I think the Lakers can – Push it six games, the Warriors, this year. I think if they have everything going for them, if it goes as well as I project it to be, I think they can be right up there with them. Yeah, they, 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 they can be. It's just, you know, like you said, it's no, no one's beating the Warriors at this point. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's too tough. The, the, the team, you know, maybe if the Rockets can really turn this around and figure it out and get back. I also don't expect the Lakers roster to look exactly like what it looks like right now. By the time we get to the end of the season, they, they signed all these guys to one-year contracts that are very, very tradable. And I think that they may look to make some moves and you know, do some things to kind of bolster a playoff run because I think they're at a point where it's been, what, four or five years since they've made the playoffs. So I think the Lakers are really sitting there saying, hey, we want to get back in there and play meaningful basketball. And I think even if they get knocked out and say the second round, that's not the end of the world because now you've got some guys who are getting experience that, that, weren't, that didn't have that playoff experience previously. And that's going to be really important going forward. And I'm really looking to see if Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma can catch fire uh, in the next part of the season because Kyle Kuzma was really going strong at the, in the while Ingram was out. I just really want to see if that can come back and he can play like he was last year. He struggled last game. I think he only put up 10 points. And I, I really liked what I saw from Ingram last game. Had 17 points, comfortable, backing down, smaller, smaller defenders. And I think it's going to come a lot easier for him now that he's playing the two-guard. There's just players... Aren't going to be as aren't going to be big enough to guard them. They had C.J. McCollum on them the other night, and six three to six nine, it's going to be hard to stop that, especially with his wingspan. And hopefully, I want to see a guy step up because you look at those two players, and those are the two most likely candidates. But I just want to see one really step out and take reign of that second spot. Uh, you know, it's really tough. Normally, I would have said 
I would normally say Ingram. I just I think he's having some struggles meshing uh, with the rest of the roster right now. So, you know, I think Kuzma, he, in a lot of ways, he's had a much easier job. He just kind of has to stand there and be open to shoot jumpers. And that, you know, fits his game quite well because he's an excellent open jump shooter. So, so I think there's a chance that he could, you know, do something like that and, you know, be, be out there to, to knock down those jumpers. I think the challenge comes in is in the playoffs, those get taken away. And as games become more important, you need guys who can create off the bounce. And Ingram has that, you know, over Kuzma by a pretty good amount. So, you know, it, it, it's really hard to say. You know, I you want it to be Ingram because I think his ceiling is so higher than Kuzma's by a pretty good deal. But I think Kuzma's gets more adaptable to what the Lakers have right now. So I think it's more likely to be him for this season. And I think one of the big problems with Ingram is that he gets lost a lot of times on the court. He has to have the ball in his hands to really be able to contribute. That's why in previous years they put him at point guard sometimes uh, to get more out of him. But I think Luke Walton's going to have to figure out a way to get him more involved in the offense. With Lonzo Ball, they're using him as a screen setter. So it's always got his tension up, and he's always being able to see what's going on and make plays. So I think Walton's going to have to figure out a way to get Inger more involved so he can reach his full potential. Yeah, no, definitely. You're, you're right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, you were at Jimmy Butler's debut game for the 76ers after his trade from the Timberwolves. With the game against Orlando, the Magic won 111-106, with Butler scoring 14 points with four rebounds in 33 minutes. What do you think of Butler's debut? Yeah, it was a little up and down, and that's to be expected Anytime there's a big trade. You know, he at times looked good. You could tell, uh, and Brett Brown mentioned it, pretty game that, that he only had a chance to install a couple of sets for Butler that he you know, was able to run, and they ran those you know, pretty exclusively when he was in there. And, you know, and he, he did a pretty nice job you know, on those. So I think that is uh, you know, really going to be um, you know, interesting to see you know, where, where that goes. Um, for him, I think you know now what I'm expecting out of him going forward is that he'll get a lot more comfortable. I worry though, you have him and Simmons who both need the ball a lot. We just talked about this with the Lakers. Well, uh, at least the Lakers guys are somewhat productive off the ball. Simmons really isn't at all. You know, he's a decent cutter, but but that's about it. Just because he not not only would they can't he shoot, but he doesn't shoot at all. So that becomes really. Uh, you know, interesting. So I think it's uh, you know going to be you know kind of curious to see how that all meshes and comes together. But as far as debut games, like it's an up and down, which is to be expected. I think an encouraging sign was his efficiency, shooting six of ten from the field. I just really think that this move can help the 76ers a lot. Obviously, with their two other stars, Embiid and Simmons. I think it puts them up right up there with the Celtics if things go as expected, because it gives them another playmaker and a wing who can defend at a very high level. He was all defensive second team last year. It just, I really like this trade for the Sixers, even though it hurts their depth a little bit. And you saw that with three new starters for that game. So how does their loss of depth from the trade affect them going on? Yeah, it's really it's really going to hurt them. And you saw it hurt them in that game against Orlando. Now, you don't want to overreact to one game because, you know, that's, we never want to do that. But the reality is, they had to go to guys who really haven't been playing or haven't been playing in the spots that they were playing in. You know, it was uh, 
a lot of work on Korkmaz, who's barely been playing. He really struggled. And then Mike Muscala was in there in the primary you know, minutes, really playing a lot behind Joel Embiid, and even playing some with Embiid. And Nick Vucevic ate him up. You know, the Magic really went at him on just about every possession of either Vucevic or they got him in switches. And he just couldn't couldn't do anything. So that's a, that, that's a challenge. You know, th- those guys are already, you know, this is the team. When he gave up Covington and Saric, but Butler, Butler's a great player, but you gave up two starters and two guys who really fit, two guys who didn't need the ball to be effective. You know, they, they could just hang out in the shooter spots or, you know, Sarge got a lot of his points off cuts or off of offensive rebounds and plays like that. And, you know, they, they, they kind of struggled, you know, against Orlando to make those things happen. So I think what you're going to see going forward is they're going to look to get another big and another shooter. Ideally, you know, whether that be in another trade or if that comes during buyout season, much like they did last year when they had a ghost on over and Marco Bellinelli, I think the Sixers are in a very similar position again this year. GM for the 76ers, Elton Brand, said that he's really one to make some magic with that last roster spots available. They need someone on the bench to step up. They need someone to really fill that six-man spot that was filled by Reddick, but now he's going to be in the starting five to give him some more shooting. So I think they really need to look at Marco Fultz to step up some. I know a lot of people are saying that they should trade him uh, to get some more shooting, but Elton Brand said that the trade for Butler wasn't because of the loss of faith in Fultz but because of the opportunity to get a superstar now rather than later. I just really want to see Fultz take the next step in his game. He looked pretty good last year uh, in the few games he played, putting up a triple-double, but we just need to see more of him. What do you expect, what do you think Fultz will be able to do going forward? Yeah, I like him a lot better off the bench than I did starting. He, you know, he's just a lot more comfortable. He has the ball in his hands a lot. So I think what you ideally want to do now going forward is limit his minutes with Ben Simmons almost as much as possible just because the hope is that he can really start to turn this around and figure it out as a primary ball handler, and he's going to get second unit guys, which should allow him to be a better player and a more efficient and effective scorer, which is what he still does best at this point in his you know, young career. So I think you want to put him in that position to be successful so that he is able to go against those guys and not have to worry so much about his shot and playing off the ball and playing off all these you know, other great players because that obviously wasn't working out great even before the trade. There's no reason to believe it would after, which is why I think Dirk Brown you know, put him on the bench where his role can make a lot more sense and be a lot easier for him to succeed in. Yeah, I didn't really like the starting of Fultz to start the season. It really just felt like they were force-fitting in minutes, trying to get the rust off and trying to unlock the player that he was at Washington. And I really feel that with Fultz on the bench, he can have the more reign of the offense. Kind of like how I wish the Lakers did with Brandon Ingram his first year. Well, they tried it at the beginning of the year, and then it it didn't work at all, so they had to put him in the starting lineup. But put him at point guard really helped, and with Fultz having the ball in his hands more, and with Simmons at point guard, he really couldn't handle the ball that much. He was looked as a, an off-ball scorer, and with his lack of jumper right now, that's not really looking too good for him. So I think going forward, this move is going to be really beneficial to the Sixers, and hopefully he can capitalize on this. Tonight, is Butler's home debut against the Jazz, a really strong Western Conference opponent who they've struggled as of late, but kind of turning it on. What do you think about this game? Yeah, you know, I don't want to put too much expectations on it. I think he is going to 
going to be, you know, it's going to be similar to what it was in Orlando. You know, he's only had, you know, another day of practice. Yeah, if they even practiced uh, yesterday and then the shoot around today. So I think there's the likelihood, again, it's going to take a little while for them to figure this out. Part of the reason why you make a big trade like this in mid-November is because you have that opportunity to really toward the end of the year. So I think that's, that's what Philly's looking for. I, you know, I, I think he'll be good. I think you know, he might make some plays just because he'll feed off the adrenaline of the crowd. They'll be all fired up. It's going to be good for him to be in to the to, to a positive you know, crowd experience. Um, I think will you know make a really good you know a pretty big difference, and I think that'll be pretty good you know for Jimmy Butler to be there. So it'll be you know interesting to see how that goes tonight, but but I still think it's going to be a little bumpy for a little bit. Last offseason, the 76ers put a lot of emphasis in getting another star, and they finally got that with Butler. But how does this cap? How does this move affect their cap in the future? Because I've seen some things where they can they'll have like twenty over twenty million. Uh, extra after Beller's cap hold. How does this affect them uh, for the summer? Yeah, you're, you're, that's the right about where it'll be. They'll, they'll be right around $20 million or so in cap space because, you know, they didn't trade for Butler just to, you know, renounce him at the end of the year and watch him walk away. So, you know, it'll be curious to see, you know, where, where they're going to land out. They, they, they were projected to be, you know, much higher and they have a lot more space than, than where they're at today. So I think that'll be the... You know, one of the things is, you know, they were probably going to really clear the decks of all but their their uh, guaranteed money. Is this is their last big swing at free agency before Ben Simmons is due for a contract extension and the roster really starts to get expensive. So I think what you're going to see Philly do here is they're just going to be, you know, their their goal is obviously to re-sign Butler. They don't have a bunch of cap space to add, you know, other pieces around it. Won't be another Max guy. That that's very unlikely. But they can add some really good pieces with both their cap space and the room exception that they'll have, which helps flush out some of that depth that they lost within this trade. I think they can get a lot of veterans off that if they really play as well as a lot expect them to do, so they can use that remaining cap space well. Yesterday, Carmel Anthony and the Rockets decided to part ways after just 10 games. Carmel averaged 13 points per game, 5.4 rebounds per game, and shot 40, 40% from the field. This looked like it was destined to be bad from the start. Just haven't seen Melo play high basketball in recent years. What did you think of the the departure of Melo from the Rockets? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it's one of those things that just didn't work out. And, you know, I think a lot of us kind of saw this coming, whether, you know, you, you believed it would go south this quickly or not. And, you know, and that, that's really just, you know, what, what ended up happening. And it's... It's, it's unfortunate for Melo and really unfortunate for the Rockets who really needed a depth guy there. It's just, you know, the reality is he's just not the player he once was. He's not, he, he, he's in order, he's always been a guy who needs the ball to be very effective. And now as he's aged, he, he's maybe should have transitioned to being able to play a little bit more off the ball, but he hasn't. He still is a guy who wants and needs the ball quite a bit to be effective in that. That's just not going to work for, for the Rockets. They've got too many other guys who need touches. I know he was scoring a lot you know, off the bench, but you know, shooting really poorly. He was just over 40%, which is not where you want to be. And you know, Now it's, it's really hit a point where it's the right decision for both sides here to move on and say, you know what, we're just going we're, we're gonna to go our separate ways and we'll, we'll figure this out you know, down the line. And it's, you know, 
it, it, sometimes that's the best decision to make, and I think that's where we're at with both Houston and Melo. And Melo, I don't think, deserves all the credit for the Rockets' slow start, but a lot of the blame has been given to him. But I think a lot of it has to go with teams trying to make Melo a spot-up shooter, and that's never been his game. He's more of an isolation scorer. But like you said earlier, with two ball-dominant players on the roster already with Paul and Harden, he's just not going to be able to get all those touches. And uh, I know they were probably hoping he would with him coming off the bench, but that just wasn't able to happen. But only thing that was good with Melo was his field goal percentage from two-pointer, shooting 49% from the field, which was surprisingly his highest for him since 2008. But, you know, he just couldn't get the threes to drop. I don't really, like I said uh, he's not a spot-up shooter, and that's evident because he hasn't shot over 36% since 2014. Um, just shot 33% from three on six attempts this season, so... What do you think Melo's going to have to do to be able to get to be playing a high level of basketball again? Yeah, I, well, what he has to do is is adjust his game to where he's content to very much be a, a bench option and come in. You know, we we said it for I gosh, I don't know how many years running now. Be Olympics Melo, you know, where you run the floor and just you know get shots in transition and by playing off other guys. But it's to the point where we, we've got to let that go. That's not going to happen. You know, he, he has shown no desire to be that guy uh, in the NBA. He, he just, it's not going to get there. So I think, you know, Carmelo Anthony's days as an impactful basketball player are behind him as far as the NBA goes, just because he is not, you know, willing or able to make the adjustment at this point to where you need to be to be an NBA player. What team do you think could use him, though? Because putting the ball in the basket's a big skill in the NBA. Some teams struggle with their second units. Some reports are saying that the Blazers, Heat, and Sixers are all interested. What do you think a potential landing spot could be for him? Honestly, I've, I've been looking at this since the news came out that they, they were going to go their separate ways between him and the Rockets, and there's not a team that jumps out at me. It just there, there isn't a team that really makes sense. As I look at the rosters around the NBA the way they are set up today, I just... You know, there. I, I just don't see anybody who needs him. You know, when, when you look at it, it's you know, on the Heat. Is he any better than the guys that already play? Probably not. Any better than the guys that Portland plays? Probably not. And you've heard the Pelicans mentioned. Uh, maybe they've had some injuries, but you know, they really like their three big man rotation with Davis, Randall, and Miritic. You know, maybe a team like Memphis, who's really banged up, but once they're healthy, now he's you know going to be that fifth or sixth you know, uh, forward on that team, and that's not, you know, you know he's not going to be happy with that. So I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not ducking your question on purpose. I'm ducking it because I just don't see a spot where he makes a lot of sense. You obviously know the Celtics better than me, but I think the Celtics look like a decent spot. I know that uh, their offense hasn't really been clicking like we expected it to be, so do you think maybe bringing Melo could help some of that? No, absolutely not. Um, he doesn't fit at all with the way they want to play. They want the ball to move, and they're already having problems. A lot of their problems this year is because the ball's not moving. So adding another guy who's not going to move the ball and who loves to take mid-range shots is not anything Boston needs to do. You know, I tweeted about this earlier today. The Celtics right now are sixth in the NBA in mid-range shots per game, but they're 26th in field goal percentage. So adding another inefficient guy who loves those mid-range shots 
that is not at all what Boston needs. So they, they just need to, you know, just that, that one needs to be put away and not come back up again because it is just not a good fit. With me being a Laker fan, obviously, I'd like to see the uh, Melo destroy the Celtics. So that's why I threw that out there. Hopefully that happens, though. Uh, yeah, highly unlikely. Yeah. What about the Warriors? I know they, they've got some tension going on, and that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but do think there could be any interest on that front? I don't think so, just because he, he where, where does he fit? You know, he's yeah. not a better fit than any of the other guys on the roster. That's the thing that I think people are realizing is if he couldn't get it done on a Rockets team that has almost no depth at all, there's just been there's no fit for him to get it done, you know, anywhere else. Now, speaking of the Warriors, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green had a big altercation after Draymond didn't pass Durant the ball with the game on the line in the final seconds. The words exchanged in the Warriors locker room with Green discussing Durant's pending free agency. There's a lot of bad stuff going on here and just really a bad time to have Stephen Curry out for the Warriors as well. How do you think the Warriors move on from this, and what does the future hold for them? Yeah, I think for the rest of this season, they'll be just fine. You know, those guys will put it back behind them because the, the thing that's most important there is it's a bunch of competitors who want to win games. But I do think that this has some long-term ramifications. I think Kevin Durant was, you know, he's clearly already looking to potentially do something different. And I think he is, you know, now at a spot where it's not only looking to go somewhere else anyway, but this makes it that much easier. When when your most uh, vocal and open teammate comes at you and says things like, uh, we had you, we'll win after you leave, you know, we all know you're leaving anyway, just leave, you know, all those kind of things. I think for a guy like KD, he takes a lot of things personally. We've seen that over the years with him. And I think now he's at a point where, He's just going to probably say, you know, somewhere down the line, it'll be, all right, well, I did what I came here to accomplish. I wanted to maybe a third title if they win again this year, which certainly looks like it's, you know, they're the favorites to do so. And I think then he may say, all right, I'm out of here. You know, I've done what I wanted to do. He doesn't want me anyway. I'm, I'm ready to go. And do you think there's actually a realistic chance that Durant actually leaves the Warriors? Because it just seems like it's, perfect for him there he doesn't have to be the number one guy every night but you know there's tension locker room now but they expect to be back as all the reports have been said that they expect to be back to being brothers right now and you saw green and durant walking uh into the game against the rockets last night together uh and i've heard people have been said the lakers potential landing spot what do you think about the rumors that durant could actually leave the warriors yeah, I think it's very likely that he's going to go somewhere else. I think, again, it goes back to his goal is to win and play at the highest level possible, and he's now done that for you know three straight seasons and likely to come over three championships. He doesn't owe the Warriors anything. They don't owe him anything. They, they did what they wanted to do by coming together, and I think for KD it's going to be a situation of, you know, I don't know what the Lakers just because I don't know that he wants to go and play you know, no matter what, no matter how good he plays, he's going to be, you know, seen as, well, you just joined LeBron's team. And that's a, you know, he, he obviously didn't, you know, take it well when they said that about him going to the Warriors. So I don't think that's the case. Now, the Clippers, I think that might make some sense. He's got a lot of 
technology interests off the court. He's got a lot of business interests that would make sense for him to be in L.A. all the time, so that, that could make sense. And then I think the Knicks also hold a place for him where I can go back, I can be the man, I can lift this team back into you know, relevance, and I think he kind of you know, likes that idea of being that guy, you know, where unless he comes very terrible, you know, absolutely terrible, which that would be the most surprising thing of all, he's going to make the team better. And I think at that point, you're going to have people saying, all right, you know, this guy's here, well, let's, let's get this done. And those are the two teams I thought of as well. And you know about the cap, could the Clippers add another superstar if they got Durant? Uh, it'd be really, really tight for them if, if they were going to do that. They'd have to get off the Noah Gallinari's contract without taking any, um, you know, money back. If they were able to do that, then yeah, they probably could. I think it would be more likely you would add Durant than add you know pieces around him. Uh, that makes sense while you know also retaining you know a handful of the other guys that you already have. Uh, they're the younger players and the like. So, you know, but as far as them getting to a point where they're going to add two max players, that gets really tough. you, you got to move Gallinari's money to be able to pull that one off. And I like what you said about the Knicks as well. I really think that if they can, if they do worse, uh, if they don't get Kristaps back this season and they get like first or second worst record in the second pick in the draft, and they can really get a good player, either R.J. Barrett or Zion Williamson looks really nice. Then they get added to that with their young core, Porzingis and Kevin Knox and Nidal Aquina. I think that could entice Durant along with the fact that he could put them back uh, on the map and make them a competitive uh, franchise once again. And I think that young core, kind of like what the Lakers have, would be really enticing for Durant. So which, if you had the pick of, the three, of those three teams, which would you – pick for Durant to choose? Come on. <laughs> my, my guess is, I just feel like there's something there with the Mets. I think he, a lot of his people in his life want to be in New York and want him to be in New York specifically, so I think that there is a chance that he that that's where he's going to go. I think that you know, is just the place that kind of continues to make the most sense uh, for him as far as the Adding everything together on and off the court, I think that's where you know we'll see you know Kevin Durant land ultimately. You know, it just there's there's almost too much there for that not to be the case. Well, Keith, thanks again for coming on. I had a great time on the show. Uh, gave great insight on the cap and also on Jimmy Butler's debut and all the other things. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You can check out our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, all our social media outlets, and our website at www.balltalkpod.com. Thank you.